My name is Johnny, and I beat the often path by leveraging a lifetime of abuse and illness and hardship to benefit a lot of people that I'll never get to meet through music and speaking and a cool technology startup that I accidentally founded. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, I like to showcase unique individuals who have forged their own path in life to remind you that there are radically different ways of being and earning money in this world, many different ways than we've been taught in school and so on. Johnny Crowder is an enigma wrapped in a mystery wrapped in some tattoos. Well, okay, not that exactly, but he is a perfect example of the kind of story I'm looking for on this podcast. He's a touring death metal singer, a public speaker and TEDx presenter, and the founder of Cope Notes, a tech startup that provides positive psychology text messages every day to people who are struggling with mental health. It's a very cool subscription idea that has gained him a lot of popularity in just a few short years. His business has already helped tens of thousands of people, and he's been featured on CNN, Forbes, and much more. We talk about the problem with labels when it comes to people and how you can find your own unique path in this world, improving your own life and the lives of others in the process. So here's Johnny Crowder, founder of Cope Notes. Well, that's a great and intriguing introduction, and it encapsulates everything that we're talking about here on this show. So you've got multiple facets of your existence, of your life. So can you explain a little bit about how all of these disparate pieces fit together, if you can? They, a lot of people think they're really different, like, you know, that heavy metal is different from speaking, is different from running a tech company. And I guess there's truth to that, but they all have the same mission, which is um, help people feel better tomorrow than they do today. And that has always made them feel like very similar projects to me. It's just, in my mind, it's different avenues to accomplish the same goal. I completely agree. And that's something that so few people seem to understand or at least recognize in our society. That's what I've noticed. People see things like music and speaking and companies as Totally different in a world where we're told you have to niche down, you have to pick one thing, you have to be one thing, you have to represent one thing. But I've always felt that a lot of things can be multiple sides of the same coin. So I think it's super cool that you feel that way too. I know. I'm a really big car nerd, and I know people who will like trade in and out of cars. Like every couple of years, they'll like trade out of whatever car they have into a new car. And they don't lose their identity with each car. They're just like, I like driving. I like cars. And I, you know, the car, the vehicle may change, but my passion for driving is the same. And that's how I feel about anything I do. Any creative endeavor is like, this is just the vehicle that I'm able to experience right now in my longstanding mission that will likely never change. That's so true. And you're trying to find the vehicle that is right for you, that fits best with your abilities, that fits with your interests, and we're constantly searching for what that vehicle is. So I think it's super cool because I also come from a music background. For most of my life, I wanted to be a DJ, and a lot of people know me from that, and I was big into electronic music for years and years and years. And the only thing I ever wanted to be in my entire life from the time I was 11 years old was a traveling DJ. That's it. I had no other vision for myself. 
But then life happens. You get a little older. I, my daughter was born. Things change and suddenly say, hey, maybe that's not the path for me. Maybe that's not the thing I'm supposed to do anymore. Maybe I'll start a podcast. Maybe I'll try to inspire people. Maybe I'll try to be a speaker myself. Maybe I'll try to write more. And I find that for me, all of that makes perfect sense. But for a lot of people in the world, they see those types of things. You get into the new car, to borrow your metaphor, and they say, hey, what happened? I thought you were the blue Mustang guy. Yeah. And now Dude. you're in a red Lamborghini. Yeah, the thing is, but you're always Ross. That's the best part. The best part is that that's, I think there's this weird idea around like, if you pick a path in life, like that's your path and you stick to it forever. But if you think about, again, to use the car analogy, can you imagine like, you know, you're 30 years old, you got a blue Mustang, you're 35 years old, you got a red Lamborghini. When you're 75 years old, you want something easy to get into great visibility, right? Super safe. If you have kids, you want something with back seats and rollover protection, all this stuff. So you can't expect yourself to be like, I mean, I look at the band Corn. It's like one of my favorite bands growing up. That was like some of the only heavy metal on the radio at the time when I was a kid. Those guys are 50 years old and right. they still tour. However, eventually they won't and they will still be corn like even if those people leave the band their legacy lives and the music that you've made and the people that you've met through djing that will never change you'll always be ross you'll always have those experiences and people conflate starting a new project with losing the old one that's not true i love that that's such a great thing why do you think it is that we have such a hard time with that as a society? Why do we have such a strong desire to put people into a box? Well, the more categorizable something is, which is totally a word, don't bother looking it up to prove I, me wrong. I'm with you all the way. Um, Done. The, the, the easier something is to categorize, the less you have to think about it. So if I get to think about Ross as the blue Mustang guy, at least I don't have to actually meet him and think critically about who he is and what he likes. It's like a, less of a cognitive load for me. But the thing is, like I just said, when we started recording is like, how the heck do you sum yourself up in a sentence or two? But that's what we want to do to other people because we're dealing with our own complexities. So we want everybody else to be nice and simple so that we have bandwidth left to figure out what the heck we're going to do. Man, this is already off to an incredible start. I love that we're going this deep at the beginning. This is fantastic. So to give a little context to all of this, I want to talk about your brilliant idea, which I found, and that's how I discovered you, which is Cope Notes. So can you give a quick summary as to what this platform is and to how you came up with it? Yeah, the, the how is I grew up... You said accidentally. With, yeah, yeah. I grew up with multiple mental illnesses, um, I was in treatment for a long time. I went to school for psych and I just didn't like how complicated digital mental health resources were. I didn't like all the questionnaires and the qualifying screeners and the like, dude. And then you had to like be tech savvy and then you have to download something. or remember a password and then like it to your insurance. I'm like, screw all of this. I want something that is super simple that I don't have to remember to use. So 
Um, yeah, I totally started a company on accident. I never set out to start a company. Um, like you said, when you were young, you just want to be a DJ. I want to be a rock star. That's it. That's it. I never dreamed of like one day I'll run a tech startup. Yeah, right, dude. When you're a kid, you're like, I want to be a rock star. Um, but the way that I wanted to solve this problem of like the needless complexity of, of mental health resources was I wanted to strip away all of the things that didn't actually make a material impact on the end user. And so now what Coke Notes does is we, it really is this simple. We send one text a day at a random time and no two people ever get the same text at the same time. So I don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what I'm going to get or when. And the text is short, easy to understand, It'll be a psychology fact or a journaling prompt or an exercise um, that's written by a peer with lived experience. So like in plain English, not all clinical and jargony, then it's reviewed by mental health professionals to make sure it's legit, then delivered at random times. So you never know when we'll text you or what the text will say. And then you can journal back and speak freely. And it's, it's like a guaranteed interruption to a negative thought pattern at least once every 24 hours for the rest of your life. So it is like a brain training, you know, neuroplasticity resource that is supposed to make growing in the right direction mentally as easy as possible. Like I never make a conscious choice to use Coke notes. It always reaches out to me. I don't have to set aside time or book appointments or even share my personal info, like my name. It just kind of does it for me. All I have to do is read two or three sentences a day. That's it. The brain does the rest. Now, does everybody have the same pool of wisdom or is somebody's personal story factored into the kind of content they receive? So interestingly, check this out. How, how would I learn your personal story? Maybe through a questionnaire. And exactly. all of a sudden we find our way back We're to back. the original problem. I don't so, want to fill out a questionnaire. I don't have time. Yeah. So I was like, how the heck can we make Coke Notes smarter? So what we've been working on is something really, really stellar in my opinion, which is um, the more you journal in that thread, when you share, you know, a journaling prompt might come up asking about something that has been getting under your skin this past week. And maybe you share like, oh, my freaking daughter, for whatever reason, will just not eat her dinner. And I'm so stressed out about it. I, I spend time cooking dinner and then she just won't eat it. And then I think, you know, am I being a bad parent? Am I cooking? Am I not cooking right? And it bothers me. Um, and then Coke Notes recognizes in your text thread, okay, family. Seems like a theme is family. Maybe text messages that are related to interpersonal relationships and communication might be helpful and more relevant. So over time, as you're journaling, Coke Notes can get a better understanding of what content would be more relevant for you. Very cool. I'm assuming it did not start out that way. This complexity <laughs> is stuff that you're building in no as you go. Way, dude. Because it you began was, in 2018, right? It, yeah, in 2018. So I started working on the original version of Cope Notes was called Better People, which was in like uh, 2016 or so, maybe. And then that became Not a Therapist in 2017. And then Cope Notes, the actual version that exists today, launched in 2018. And the original version, dude, 
just the original version of Coke Notes, not to mention the previous iterations under different names. The original version of Coke Notes was, now I went to school for psychology, not technology. So what I did was look for the cheapest SMS marketing tool I could find and then just hack the crap out of it (laughs) and try to repurpose it for Coke Notes. And it was like Google Sheets and copying and pasting from WordPress forms. Then it was littered with human error. Nothing was automated. Everything was manually done. It was, I actually had um, someone bought, um, so we do enterprise stuff now and we didn't used to. And someone was reaching out to have it, um, to use Code Notes for employee wellness. And they said, I'm not gonna lie. I used the original version of Code Notes and it sucked. Mm. And I used it more recently. It's so much better that now I want it for my employees. And I was like, honestly, that's so cool to hear, to remind me like just how bad the original version was, you know? Right. And the first draft of anything is shit. That famous quote. I think it was Hemingway who said that, right? Yeah. You have to push it. You have to make it live. start somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so you've built this. Uh, how did you know that you were on to something? At what point did you feel like people were giving you back feedback that you had a good idea that was worth pursuing? Um, I mean, I, I certainly started with like an educated guess because not a therapist received... Uh, we collected feedback forms all the time and a lot of people were saying like, oh, I wish it was text only. I wish I didn't have to book appointments. I wish it was anonymous. So they were kind of telling us like what they wanted. But I think it was probably, I remember I took a photo of a whiteboard at my desk at my day job that I had um, where I wrote 25 subscribers and put all this little like squiggly marks around it and took a photo to celebrate. Now we have like 22 or 23,000. But at the time... I remember thinking like 25 is a big deal. And in my mind, if if 25 people are choosing to pay for something, then you're not onto nothing. Like at least you should like collect information from those people. But I got to be honest, the whole first year, I was completely unsure that it was a sustainable idea at all. Like I really didn't hit any level of like certainty, like, oh, I'm really onto something. Um, in the first year at all, I don't think. Mm. Did you have people paying for the service from day one or was it free to start? It was, we had a free, we had like a seven day free trial um, and then people could sign up. But yeah, we had some people who paid day one um, and not all of those people were my friends, which was cool. Like the day that we launched, we just posted about it on social media and then like some of the people who signed up were like, not my mom. And it's like, well, right. that's really cool. You know, that, she like, has people... seven accounts, but the other ones. Are yeah. Really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the first day, maybe we had like, you know, two or three people sign up or something. It wasn't, it wasn't like a, a gold rush of all these people coming in, but I mean, and it's super cheap too, right? Like it's like eight, nine, 10 bucks a month or something. So it's not like a gigantic financial commitment these people are making, but it was like them typing in a credit card number on a website. And I was like, Oh shoot. Now I have to help these people feel better. Like that's what I committed to do. You know, 
Amazing. So you came up with this idea, and one of the things that I'm so fascinated with is what constitutes an idea, if that makes sense. When somebody has a new business idea, at what point do you say that's enough? In some sense, sending a text message a day is very simple. It's almost too easy, and I kind of love business ideas like that. How did you know that that was enough of an idea, that that would be that that would help you achieve the change that you were hoping to achieve. So the original vert, so let's talk about not a therapist for a second. So not a therapist was uh, a brilliant support. legal disclaimer in the title. First of all. Yeah. Yeah. I always loved that. Not a therapist, <laughs> no asterisk needed. Yeah. The, the cool thing about not a therapist was it was peer support. Um, so it, we made it real clear, like, you know, we're not clinicians. We're like peers, just like you with lived experience. And if you want to talk about what you're going through, you can talk about it with us. Um, it, but it was virtual. So we it was still like, you know, choose your communication method. So it was like Skype or, and, and kind of dating it by saying Skype, this was like, zoom wasn't really popping. Um, but it was like Skype or a Facebook message or a phone call. Um, so there are all these different options and you choose your appointment time and appointment length. And I had all of these other things that I was going to build out like a video series and a blog and like these educational modules and stuff and merchandise. And I was talking to one of my mentors at the time and he said, listen, I love that you're all fired up about all these things you want to start, but um, out of everything you just described that you're going to build, what, um, what feature do you think would provide the most value to the most people, the fastest? And I said, Oh, hands down the text messaging feature, which was, this was just going to be a component of not a therapist. And he said, drop everything besides that and get so good at the text messaging thing that that's what you're known for and then build back the other things. And I said, okay, cool. How long would that possibly take? And then we're literally in our fifth year of operation and we're still only doing text messages because what we learned from the marketplace is like, that's all they ever wanted. They didn't want the educational modules. They didn't want the you know appointments and video chatting. They just wanted something simple. So I'm like relieved that we didn't have to build all the other things to learn that. That's so cool. What an amazing concept that you've achieved there. I think that's fantastic. And do you anticipate that you will bring those things back? Or do you think we're just going to ride with text messaging for the foreseeable future? Dude, the, I was reading this book yesterday. Um, and it said, oh, who was the guy? It also might have been Hemingway. I can't remember. Maybe I'm just thinking we'll that because I mentioned. Sure. But um, yeah, every good quote is must be attributed to Hemingway. Gotta be. But it was some like really accomplished artist or writer or something who said, um, choose one thing and do it so well or do it better than everybody else. And when I look out into the marketplace, I see a bunch of resources that are trying to be everything to everybody. Like everyone's trying to be a Walmart, right? Like you get your prescription here, you develop your photos here, you do your grocery shopping here and um, you get your oil changed here. And we're, we just do everything for you. And I'm, I have no desire to do that. I, I've never wanted to be everything to everybody. All I've wanted to do is fill a gap. So my focus right now, I'm wrong every day. 
So tomorrow I could wake up and be like, oh, shoot, our subscribers are saying they need us to fill this need and we can. But honestly, when I look out right now, like the way we choose to make decisions as an organization is if we're at a crossroads, we ask ourselves, will pursuing this make us the best mental health texting resource on the planet? And if the answer is no, we put it on hold. So we have a whole list of things that we've chosen not to pursue that hopefully we can one day because they're exciting ideas. But if they're not helping us be a better version of what people already like, um, it's like a shiny object that we can't really afford to pursue because we've already committed to serving tens of thousands of people and we can't pursue something new at the expense of the people we're already serving, you know? Absolutely. I think it's so interesting that here you've struck on what I see as one of the fundamental paradoxes of a conversation like this and a business in general, because we began this talk by talking about how we're all multifaceted, we have multiple interests, and we have all oh, yeah. of these things and a multitude of things that we are and can be. But we just talked about how one specific thing and one thing only is at the essence mm -hmm. of a great business. So how do people who are these many, many, many things distill their whole essence into my company exists to send you a text message and nothing else? I love that. Dude, that, I love that you pointed that out because it, it's driving home something that I really needed to hear, which is that people are not businesses. Like people are multifaceted and complex and have always moving parts. And you can never, ever boil apart a human being with one of the most complex neural networks that we've ever discovered. Like we cannot boil that down into a sentence or into one thing. But companies are almost better when they are distilled down because there's so much clarity and direction. It's like a, you know, as complex, and I'm a business owner. And I understand that businesses are very complex, but nowhere near as complex as like the neural makeup of your hand, you know, and that's just Not your hand. Right. Like nothing will ever be as complex as one individual human being. So true. And it seems like so few businesses understand that the great ones do. Steve Jobs obviously did. <laughs> and if we look at the history of Apple, this was actually a moment that I noticed the history of Apple, Steve Jobs does essentially what you're doing. He wants to focus on one thing and doing it the best he possibly can. When he's ousted from Apple, they start PCifying all of the Apple lineup, mm -hmm. and then they've got the Performa 531X and 4,000 Mac lines. Nobody knows what's going on. The company is completely foundering. He comes back in, and he draws a cross on a whiteboard, and he says, personal, professional, desktop, laptop, four quadrants, one easy chart. That's it. And that's how you get the iMac, the iBook, the Power Mac, <laughs> and whatever the Power Book was. And then that helped revive Apple, and they go forward for the next several years. Now Steve Jobs is gone, and you've got Tim Cook, and Apple is yet again. They've got the Mac Mini and this new Mac Mini Pro and all of these computers, and they're starting to add in all of these little things. And yeah. I remember thinking, come on, Tim, come back to that chart. Four quadrants. Let's go back to the simplicity. But so few people are able, would you call it discipline? What would you call it that allows somebody to confidently strip away all the extraneous stuff and say, this is the focus. This is the thing we're going after. Dude, now, trust me, I'm not saying I don't have the desire 
trust me, I've thought about like, oh, making like a new Coke Notes feature where, you know, I, I think about shiny stuff all the time and stuff we want to pursue. Um, it is definitely a matter of focus, but more importantly, I think it's a matter of um, remembering what types of businesses you tend to have a good experience with. So think about this. Have you ever seen like a, you know, I was driving um, the other day and I just moved to Clearwater, Florida, and I was driving down this street and there was a line wrapped around the building for this breakfast place. And I was like, what the heck is going on over there? Is it a club? Like what's going on? This place is just like a breakfast taco place. They're not going to give you pancakes. They're not going to rub your back. They're not going to park your car. They're not going to have all of these different like omelets and crepes. And no, they just, they make breakfast tacos and they do it so freaking well that everybody in the grandma knows that that's the place you go for breakfast tacos. And no one goes there and says, can I have French toast? Like, because they're so good at one thing. And I think as someone who has to shop at stores, who do we tend to have not great experiences with is like the stores that do everything, right? They don't really specialize in anything. And then you wind up not having that great of an experience. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm saying one thing that really encouraged me um, early on was I, I had a meeting with this insurance company. This was like a year and a half into Coke notes. And it was like one of my first insurance meetings. So I'm like, okay, I really hope it goes well. And then um they touch base and learn about what we did. And they're like, well, you know, let's talk again in six months. So we did. And then they're like, let's talk again in six months. And then we did. And then they were like, have you wondered why we're meeting with you every six months? And I'm like, I wonder that every freaking day of my life, like, why are you doing that? And he said, well, you know, we wanted to see if every six months, your business model changed every six months, you're working on some new project or new, new feature or something. But they were like, what we noticed is, every six months we check back in and you're just doing the thing that you set out to do a little bit better than you were before. And that tells us that that's the type of company we'd want to work with. I was like, Oh, what the heck? I didn't know I was being tested, you know, but it was really encouraging for me to like, just remember to focus on what we originally set out to do. Well, as Johnny said, he was really excited when the first 25 people signed up for his service. And I will be really excited when the first 25 of you subscribe to my podcast. I'm just kidding, but make sure if you listen to the show that you're following it, that you're subscribed. Have you subscribed on YouTube? Have you followed on social media? Have you subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your podcast platform of choice? And above all, have you shared this episode or episodes like this with people who need to hear it. Again, I cannot grow this podcast without your help. So anything you can do to help spread the word or to support it, I would be very grateful. As you know, it takes incredible effort to put these stories together, to find these people, to make it all happen, to record it, to edit it. You can see how much work it takes. And if you want to be a part of this and if you enjoy these kinds of stories, please support it in any way you can. That's all I ask. It doesn't take long. Just 15 seconds to leave a positive review or to subscribe would really make a difference. So thank you. And now back to the show. 
So quick question before we move on. What's better, that breakfast taco place or Frenchie's Rockaway Grill? I don't know. I haven't been to that breakfast taco place. I got to go. But and you know Frenchie's, right? I don't know that I've ever been. I've been to Frenchie's. I don't know if I've I pull out it. a specific Clearwater, Florida reference and I met. All right. How about Wings, the place where you get beach gear by the beach? No? All right. Forget it. I try. I need to go to all these places now. I just I just got here. Oh, you just got there. Go. Okay. Yeah. Man, I I'm pulling out all the stops. It's fine. It's fine. Somebody out there. No. <laughs> that's such a profound statement. So it's good for the business. They're noticing the insurance. That's that's all wonderful. So let's talk about the actual text message themselves, the content part of this. Obviously, that's going to be the most difficult part. How did you start going about getting a limitless supply of content. How do you think about it now? Has your thoughts changed? Who's writing these things? Yeah, all the so all the content is written by peers with lived experience, which is really important to me because my background is peer support. But originally, I actually thought I had to write a new text every single day in perpetuity. And I'm like, that's not sustainable. How the heck would you even possibly do that? Especially as you get... And also before everyone would get the same text every day at the same time. So it wasn't really this like nuanced, unique experience with Cope Notes. It's just like, blah, that's what you get. Like it or leave it. Um, like a tweet, that, basically, a Twitter account. Yeah, that, comes like, that early message. version was really, it was like, let's say we write a text message and send it today. That would have really helped you. But you sign up tomorrow. You never receive that content. And it's like, what a ridiculous, unsustainable way to build this. So we started thinking less about um, having a limitless supply of text messages and started thinking more about um, a way to deliver content to people that would allow the content to grow rather than remain stagnant. So what we have right now, which is kind of, it kind of melts my brain. We have a living library of text messages, which means that, um, you know, we don't have infinity text messages. If you stay subscribed to Cope Notes for years and years, you might eventually receive the same text twice, but here's what's cool. You will receive the same text ID, but the words in the text will be different because they've undergone countless revisions based on user feedback and clinical oversight. So even if you did get the same text twice, you wouldn't recognize it because maybe 20, 30 times that text has been edited and revised and rechopped. And like, I mean, it's basically a way to create an infinite content library with finite resources while incorporating the feedback loop of user input. It's like very cool. A hack. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to know that like the Cope Notes library is growing and learning from everybody using Cope Notes every day in perpetuity. How cool is that? It's Amazing. like a crowdsourced mental health resource. Amazing. So that idea is going to be incredible 15 years from now. It's good. Who knows what it's oh, going to be? Oh, I know. Like. I know. What is it going to be so whittled cool. down to? But you must have an incredibly robust tagging system for this so that you can sort these things. Somebody has problems with family, their daughter's not eating dinner. You have labeled all of these IDs with a bunch of potential topics. Yeah. So that was a challenge. We worked with a school, uh, 
University of South Florida, their research department actually went through and coded every single text message in our library with a team of researchers from the Department of Mental Health Law and Policy. So this is like, this was like a huge undertaking um, to like code every single text based on the psychological principle that it's reinforcing and then have multiple researchers corroborate and have some of them go head to head like, this text isn't about communication. Yes, it is. And like having to battle it out. So now we have all those content tags, but for a long time, we were like, how on earth are we going to like keep up with that like triage system of like recognizing what's coming in on the inbound side and then categorizing outbound texts to match the inputs. And it's something that we work on every single day. It's like making that system better and like more importantly, a better listener so that when people do journal, they're actually heard. That's incredible. And that actually brings up a question that I didn't know that I had, but something I've always personally been interested in. In the desire to be credible, which is obviously a desire that you have, research is an invaluable tool. So how did you get actual researchers to help you? What was the model? Did they do it for free? Do you have to pay for them? How can people enlist things like a university research department to help them make their own product better? Dude, this is a ton of luck. I'm about to drop on you. So um, I've been volunteering in the mental health space for like a decade. So fortunately, I've met a lot of really talented and intelligent people. I've served on boards with them. I've volunteered at events with them. Um, And some of that volunteer work has led me to give guest lectures at universities to psychology students. And after one of my guest lectures, the professor said, you know, can you stick around and talk for a little bit? You mentioned that you were working on a project. I wanted to hear about it. And I kind of explained it to her. And she was like, do you mind if I get my team to like meet with you and learn more about it? And I was like, okay. I thought I was in trouble, dude. I thought I was like breaking the law. <laughs> Watch out. And then they were like, hey, I don't think you understand what you're working on. Like, this is actually a really big deal. Like, you are kind of onto something here. And I don't think you understand like the psychological ramifications of like, what if you're right? Like this could be huge. This could be a huge discovery. And I started working with them in late 2018. Um, and a lot of it has just been through that like intrigue on the university's part and then having students and graduate assistants and professors who are willing to participate and be involved in it. It's just been this like, I think people laugh when they hear me say that I'm lucky that I've been volunteering for 10 years. Cause they're like, what is, what is lucky about working for free for a decade and not being compensated, <laughs> which I understand that perspective, but on the other side of that coin, like, no, I may not have been compensated financially for doing that work, but um, I've been compensated in like relationships with really smart people who were willing to take a closer look at what we were doing and help guide us and inform us to make sure we we're on the right track. And I think without those relationships, I don't know that Cope Notes could exist as it does today. And that speaks to the power which is a theme that I'm trying to help spread with my show, the power of having an idea that is so good that people can get behind it and that they want to get behind it, an idea that's worth sharing. 
Because that doesn't happen if you say, I'm trying to find a way to market cigarettes to kids. They'll say, get the hell out of here. But they believe in what you're doing. And on that basis, they want to help you because you're helping other people. So there's a powerful lesson in there, I think, for people who want to start something. Yeah, I've always been mission driven even before a company was in the picture and i heard someone say um you know if you want to if you want to start a company and you say my goal is to like make as much money as possible you will find partners like there are people out there who are like oh same that's what i want to do i want to make as much money as possible um but if you say like i'm trying to solve this problem the pool of people who are passionate about that problem being solved is probably more willing to contribute. Mm. If they're like, oh, I've felt that, or I recognize that need because money is a driver for sure for a lot of people that you might work with, but there is no greater driver than trying to like um, relieve pain. And if there are people who are familiar with that pain, they will be like ready to mobilize, to make connections for you or look over, you know, a document that you worked on or whatever, just like, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes here and there. They're like, I will be happy to sit with you and share my opinion on this because I believe that anyone solving this pain is a good thing. So true. And along those lines, how big is your team now? How many people do you have working at your company? Teeny, teeny, tiny. We have four full-time employees, and then we have a handful of part-time or contract folks. So all in, probably less than 15 people touch Cope Notes on a weekly basis. Amazing. And is it... In terms of the financial aspect, has it changed your life for the better to do this? Well, it's kind of early to ask me that because I was telling someone earlier, like, yes, the company is doing well in revenue, but we put that revenue towards hiring people and paying for stuff. So personally, I have not um, received that financial benefit that I think a lot of founders kind of hope to achieve. But I know that on one hand, I, I trust that it's coming. And on the other hand, I know that if for some reason I never achieved it, this would still be like the most worthwhile thing to do with my time anyway. So I'm not in the, um, like the tech founder bliss where like my toes are in the sand, I'm working from Hawaii and I'm driving my Lamborghini to like a five-star restaurant stand at the Ritz Carlton. I'm like not experiencing any of that, but Um, what I am experiencing is like a deep sense of peace and purpose. And I'm not saying that you can't have both. I'm just telling you that I'm not yet in the, you know, personal financial provision stage. Um, and what sustains me through not being in that position personally is knowing that every single day that I spend working on this is a day well spent. And you've impacted literally thousands of people's lives directly. And obviously the people on your team must be so grateful 
You've impacted their lives incredibly, I'm sure, by giving them a mission, by paying their salary, and motivating all of those people in your orbit. I think I just forget that, you know, some people came from more corporate backgrounds where they didn't really have a lot of creative autonomy. They didn't get to like feel the impact of what they were doing. But now, like, imagine, you know, if we're going to hire a salesperson, we say, you're not making cold calls and sending emails and like peddling your wares just to close a commission check. Like if you make this phone call and this business says, yeah, we want to provide this as a benefit for our employees. And then one of those employees uses Coke notes and is a mother and winds up being there for her child because she checks into rehab and then, you know, like play it out. Like, and then that little girl grows up with a mom and then that little girl writes a book or whatever, and that impacts tons of people. And it's all because you made a good call. Like, it it can't be lost on us. Everybody works on code notes. Like if you're a developer and you write a line of code, like that line of code could be the reason why some guy named Dan lives to be 89 years old. Because without that line of code that you wrote, he might've died at 17 or 31 or something. And we don't know, but when we get these testimonials in, we're just like, holy crap, everything we do is touching thousands of lives all over the world. And we're lucky to have that sense of purpose because not everybody gets to have that in like their work day. Not at all. So few people do. And that is a devastatingly effective leadership or sales tactic, but employed in the best possible way. <laughs> Everything you just described is like the most effective sales tactic possible. Dude, but I just, it, it gives me good It's true. To think about. Yeah, like, it's true. There, and we hear stories of people saying, like the only reason I'm still alive today is because of Coke notes. And you're like, freaking what? And then you start, so zoom out even further and think like, well, what was it about, you know, our website that was easy to navigate or our form, like the way our form looked that was trustworthy enough for that person to type their credit card in or whatever, or like, you know, what was it, the colors or the button size or what led to that person taking that step? Because if anything got in their way, and they never used it. Who knows what could happen? And it just makes every little thing so important because it's all contributing to someone feeling better. You're like, the level of responsibility that we feel is like sobering for sure. Absolutely. It's a privilege to get to be a part of that person's story. Absolutely. Well, I want to switch gears here for a little bit as we kind of near the end of our time. You've got a big guitar right behind you. We talked a bit about music. Now, heavy metal is something that I personally never listened to, but I appreciate the skill and technical ability. I know that the drummers are among the best in the world. Were you a guitarist, or what instrument did you play? I play I play guitar, but not on stage. Okay. So I like write guitar. I played guitar at home, but um, professionally in my band, I sing only. So I'm like the front man, quote unquote. Very nice. So you're still in a band today? Correct. So that's the part that I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask what role music plays in your life currently. Are you able to see it as just a hobby? How does that work? It's it's tough. I think COVID changed that, right? Like before I was touring full time and running the company from my computer on tour. And then COVID hit and it's kind of forced me to double down on Coke Notes and we still like my band writes and records, but because we're not back 
touring full-time yet. It's allowed me to reframe um, the opportunity that Coke Notes presents to impact people. Because when you tour, right, you're in a city for a day. And then that night you drive to the next city. So you impact three, 400 people, 500 people, 600 people, maybe a hundred. I don't know. Maybe it's not a great show. Maybe it's a weekday show or something, but you impact a few hundred people in this city and then you freaking leave. You drive away and you might not see those people for six months, a year, two years. You don't know when you're coming back to that market. And I've always thought of music as being that leave behind. Like, you know, we might not be here, but now you have our CD. Now you can listen to us on Spotify and that can sustain you. But Coke Notes can walk with everybody every day in perpetuity without me physically having to be there. So I think COVID kind of made me rethink the opportunity that Coke Notes presents, which is like, even when live events are shut down and concerts aren't happening, Coke Notes provides a way to support those people that I can't go support in person, you know? Very cool. Very, very cool. So you still consider music to be a key part of your life. It's not like I'm going to quit music to do this. In your mind, they're always side by side. Oh, dude, the first, yeah. So when I was on tour, I was passing out Not A Therapist flyers. Some of the first not a therapist users were people from our concerts. Like, and then with Coke notes, like when I send out merch orders that people, people buy a t-shirt or whatever, and I'll like package the merch order and put a Coke notes flyer inside. Like, this is how we got some of our first subscribers and our first chances to impact people were people from the music scene. So in my mind, actually the first Coke notes website, the first like iteration of it, had like a bunch of people with tattoos and wearing death metal t-shirts and stuff. And that was like the whole look of the website was, <laughs> sure. it was like kind of built for and geared towards people like me. And as we've grown, even though like we do more work with corporate entities and government and education now, I'm still the t-shirt and jeans face tattoo death metal guy. And I will always be that. And in my head, that's who we want to continue supporting whether through Cope Notes or through music. Like this is music is a cornerstone of my life. And I don't see that changing. Even if there was never a concert again for the rest of my life, like all live events were canceled forever. Music would still be a cornerstone. That's so fantastic. And so cool. It's so great to know that you can do both because I feel that many people think they have to make a choice. You have to pick mm -hmm. It's so amazing to think, no, you can actually still follow two passions at the same time. You can have and nurture them both and give them both space if you set it up the right way, which it seems like you have. I mean, COVID aside, obviously. No, actually, I don't want to take too much credit for that because I think COVID decided that I would focus on Coke Notes. Because if I still had to tour full-time, I don't know if Coke Notes would be as established as we are impacting the people we are today if I was still touring, like COVID forced me to put the majority of my time into one thing rather than the other. And I think, you know, if COVID didn't happen, would my band be bigger? Yeah. But because COVID happened, did Coke Notes gain the ability to impact like thousands of people that we wouldn't have otherwise? Definitely. So it just depends on how you frame it, you know? 
That's so awesome. I love every piece of that, every piece of what you just said. So we've got just a couple minutes left, and I like to ask this question. What is something unusual or contrarian that you believe that nobody else believes? What's something unusual that you think about that nobody else thinks about? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I guess on the music front, I think that um, people who look scary like people with a bunch of visible tattoos, like face and neck and wearing black clothing and have a bunch of piercings. And, you know, those people are truly some of the most kind and caring and supportive um, and generous people in the world. And it's almost like I told one of the pastors from my small group that I actually trust somebody more when they're like covered in tattoos and like look like a, a metal person, quote unquote, because I'm like, oh, this dude's been through some stuff. And so have I, and now we're best friends, even though we've never spoken, there's like a, I have the opposite reaction. Like if I'm walking down a street, um, I'm not worried if there's someone who like looks intimidating walking towards me. I'm like, nice. You know, it's just the way I'm kind of wired, like culturally from spending so much time in the music scene. That's a perfect answer to that question. It hadn't occurred to me, but you're absolutely right. And you yourself are an amazing model of that. Obviously, your commitment to what you do and to helping people cannot be questioned. Ten years of volunteering, building this yeah. mission, the enormous amount that you have sacrificed to make sure that other people don't experience some of the things you experience or just to help people who might have is so, so, so noble. And the idea that nobody should conflate these two worlds is an incredible idea. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Music is music. That's an expression of feelings. But you put your money where your mouth is every single day of your life. So yeah. it's pretty hard to argue with that track record, I would say. Dude, also, last thing I'll say on that is there's this misconception that like people in the music industry are like burnouts like touring musicians are like just lazy or whatever, dude, if you haven't toured full time, you have no, it's the opposite of lazy. It is like, I genuinely think that if you took every touring musician and pulled them out of that environment and put them into any corporate environment, they would be in a management position in like six months because of how freaking hard artists have to work to achieve what they're trying to achieve, it makes any other job look like cake in comparison. So when I see someone who's like from that music or art environment, I see how hard they've had to work for pennies, for peanuts. I'm like, wow, imagine if we put them into like a real business and had them literally outwork everybody around them on accident. They're like, oh, I didn't even, I wasn't trying to embarrass anybody. This is just how hard I work. Like, I think the whole, I think corporate America needs death metal is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. That's the quote. We're going to pull that from the yeah. tagline. Done. That's the thumbnail. That's the essence of this talk. Very cool. But of course, I have no doubt that you're right, but they've got to care in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're going to do it to sell something that they don't believe in to people that mm -hmm. they don't care about. But I think if they believe about it, then absolutely, 100%. Because that's part of the artist's temperament. That's yep. part of the artist's soul and spirit and vibe. 
Well, we're basically at the end of our hour. I can't thank you enough for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and getting deep with me. It's been incredible. I do want to leave the final word to you. So is there anything that you would say to anybody who might be feeling a bit down or who might need a little bit of help aside from signing up for your app? Of course, what's a last piece of parting advice that you have or thoughts or self-promotion, literally anything you want to close with? The thing that I always want to leave people with is something I was thinking about earlier today, which is the phrase, everything changes all the time. I freaking love that phrase so much because every time I'm like experiencing pain or disappointment or I feel betrayed by somebody or an interpersonal relationship is struggling or whatever, the phrase, everything changes all the time brings me so much peace because it's like whatever I'm experiencing right now has a 100% chance of changing at some point in the future. It might, it might not be the opposite, but at least I know it's not going to be exactly like this forever. Powerful stuff. I love it. Again, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you. I wholeheartedly support you and your mission and what you're doing. I wish you nothing but success. At least you've got the beach part down. You may not be in Hawaii, but you got the beach part down of your existence. So I hope that <laughs> all of the good things come and that it continues to grow and that it provides you with the life that you've been hoping for and enables everything you want. Thank you like, so I much. Can't, thanks. Thank you enough, Johnny. Uh, and with that, the official podcast is over. That's it today for the Beat the Off and Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Thank you again for listening. Join me every Friday as I take you on a journey to find more inspirational people, people who are doing incredible things in this world. We need to hear these kinds of stories to radically reshape our concept of what it means to work, what it means to make money, and to remind us, of course, that much more is possible than we might really originally think. Again, if you like this podcast, subscribe, share, follow on YouTube, follow on Instagram, follow anywhere you find me. On Instagram, it's at the Ross Palmer. On YouTube, you can find Ross Palmer. And on any of your podcast platforms, subscribe or follow Beat the Off and Path. Rate the show five stars. Leave a nice review. Help others find this podcast. I would be very grateful. Thank you, and I'll see you next Friday. <laughs>